Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter one, 5, verses 1 through 20. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper to God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Pastor Heather, one of our co-pastors of Family Ministries, and I'm, uh, it's with joy that I lead us in this time this morning of Continuing in our study of Ephesians, we've been moving verse uh, segment by segment through the book of Ephesians. And last week, Pastor Matt introduced the first part of a section on Christian living. And this is a continuation of that Christian living part two. As we begin, I want you to take a moment and just do a little imagination exercise for me, if you would. You can close your eyes if you want or, or just think. I want you to imagine what, it's gonna, what you're gonna do when you leave this building today. Like, where are you gonna go? You're gonna walk down the aisle. You're gonna walk down to Coffee and Connection or out the door, walking down the sidewalk, back to your car, maybe on the bus, maybe walking home, maybe riding your bike, a couple of you. Pretty straightforward. Well, I was noticing something this week. You can, that we're done with our exercise. That was the imagine. That's all the more imagination you needed for this morning. Just imagining leaving the building. Did any of you, when you imagine that scenario, did you imagine yourselves climbing a tree? 
anyone, did you think before I leave this place today, I'm gonna climb a tree? Well, I bring that up today because uh, I took this picture of my son the other day of this little tree in between the playground and the boiler room. I don't know the story of this tree. I don't know when we put this tree in or what the decision was, but this tree is very special because it adds many, many minutes to every parent of a preschooler or young elementary kid's day. Because we cannot just walk down the aisle and down the sidewalk and get in our car. We have to stop at this tree, which is the perfect size for a five-year-old to be able to climb. So much so that my, one of my friends, when I posted this picture on Instagram, she's like, ah, oh, yes, the stalling tree. We're like, the follow-up sequel to like the Shell Silverstein classic, the stalling tree, irritating parents for the last 15 years or however long it's been there. But this tree, as I was thinking about it, I thought of all of these times that I've been leaving North Queen Anne childcare in the afternoon with my kids, and there have been parents gathered around the base of this tree talking with one another. There are friendships that I believe have been forged because of children's refusal to get down out of this tree and parents at the end of a long day saying, fine, five minutes. And then they end up standing there and having a conversation with a neighbor or a coworker or a fellow parent, a friend. And this tree unintentionally has become a space of creating friendships. I don't think that when we put that in, we thought this will be a place for the parents to gather, but it's become that. It's become this place of community. But it requires, to have that community, it requires somebody, a small child, to walk past it and to walk in a different way than the adults might walk past. We might just walk past it and not even notice it, but for a child, there's something different and they walk in a different way when they encounter that tree. And that's what, 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 today when we're talking about Christian living part two in the book of Ephesians, Paul is outlining how Christian community doesn't just happen. We don't just walk down the road and, it, and, it, and it, just, it just appears. There are some intentional things that have to happen and not happen in order for Christian community and community with the Holy Spirit to develop. So the community of Christ doesn't just happen, it's cultivated in the same way a tree is cultivated. It's rooted in the soil that was tilled by the Father through the sacrifice and offering of Jesus Christ, the Son, and empowered by the Holy Spirit who now invites all Christians into that community. And our task as the church is to continue on in that spirit connection with the Spirit and unity and the harmony that began in Christ. This takes us back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, which I want to look at again, where Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. 
There's a oneness here, and the Christian community joins the oneness of God that's together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we stay in unity with the Spirit. So here Paul in Ephesians 5 outlines for us a lot of steps, a lot of movements, a lot of actions that we can take or not take to continue in this unity with the Spirit. So I, we don't have time to go into all of them, because as you saw, it's quite a list of things that we are to do and not do. And so I want to focus just on three key themes. The first is that we walk in love. The second is that we live as light. And the third, that we seek God's will. And these are, by practicing these movements in our community, this is how we can continue to be worthy of the calling we received and be in union with the Spirit. So the first one, movement one, we walk in love. It says at the beginning of the passage, we follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Pastor Matt touched on this last week, um, how part of this involves not avoiding sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, which is mentioned here in this, in this passage, that we are not to have idolatry. And this is referring not to those outside the community in the world, it's referring to those of us who are here in the Christian community, that we are to forsake and run away from sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. And if we think about the way those are treated in our cultural context, we can see how bodies and idolatry go together, how people start to want to be like and look like certain bodies, certain people, how we look up to certain bodies. I saw, I was watching this show where somebody's like, I imagine that my future wife is gonna have the body of this star and the brain of this star put together. And I was like, wow, that is so amazing that you can just create a person like that. Um, but that's a form of idolatry to say, I'm gonna pluck these uh, these parts of people, put them together and make my ideal person. And idolatry is something we see throughout scripture as people interact with one another. I thought of David and Bathsheba, how David's looking out a window and he sees Bathsheba and Bathsheba is not his wife. She's somebody else's wife, but he has a desire to possess her. And so he brings her back to his house. Or even thinking about the book of Esther. Esther's a story when we teach it to children, often it gets told as like this kind of biblical beauty pageant, like Miss America and all these women from all over the kingdom come and line up and the king awards one a special sash. But we could also look at that as a story of a king in power deciding he has a thirst for more women in his community. So he gathers up all of the young single women. He he takes them out of their homes. He puts them through an extensive uh, regimen to make them look more beautiful. And then he picks the one that he wants to take home. So he has hundreds of wives. And there's an objectification of that. There's not an acknowledgement of the humanity of all of those women. So there's an idolatry that happens in our culture that is shown through this sexual immorality and impurity. And the word here for sexual immorality is pornea from the Greek, which you can then recognize the way it's moved into our current vocabulary in the form of pornography. And this is, he's writing in contrast to the way that they saw sexual morality and immorality in their culture and says, we can't make light of this in our context. God's will for the salvation is for us to be made holy, to be set apart, to be made righteous. And Christ does that work. So 
it's, I, I, I went to go look up because I wanted to know in 2018, what are some of our statistics about the use of pornography in the US? And I saw in 2014 and 2016, you saw this up earlier, the statistic, that there was a Barna survey that said that 55% of married men and 70% of unmarried men said they watch porn at least once a month, and 25% of married women and 16% of unmarried women watch porn at least once a month. And as you look at the stats by age group, the younger you get down into 18 to 30-year-olds, those stats go way up, the frequencies go way up. And in other research um, that's a little bit older done by a man named Ben Edelman, he said that he found no significant difference in subscriptions to the top entertainment sellers between zip codes. He was comparing zip codes. So he looked at zip codes and then looked at, is this a fairly religious zip code or is this a more unreligious zip code? And he looked how many people that were practitioners of Christianity and other religions there were. And he found no significant difference in the subscription rates for entertainment, adult entertainment subscription services from the more religious places and the more non-religious places. It was across the board the same. So that should be concerning to us, to know that for some of us, the struggle for sexual, for sexual morality is private and it's hidden. It's taking place now not at strip clubs and adult bookstores. It's actually taking place, it's in our homes, it's on our devices. Sometimes it can pop up on your phone against your will from spam um, and other means. And this is the kind of this is, this is an aspect of what Paul was saying, that for us to walk in love, we can't objectify one another in this way. We have to repent of that. We have to cast it off. We can't say it's okay because the world says it's okay. We actually have to walk away from it. He says that the sexual expression of new converts to Christianity ought to be categorically different than what they practiced before they entered the faith. That how Christians act and treat one another ought to be different than people outside the church treat one another. And that everybody's welcomed into the community. It's not about who's in or who's out. It's not about setting lots of laws and limits like the Pharisees did of what you can watch and what you can do and what you can see. But it's about saying we want to have a movement towards walking in love with one another. And we can't believe like unbelievers anymore. So it's not an unforgivable sin to be greedy. It's not an unforgivable sin to to do something that makes us impure or that's sexually immoral. It's a forgivable sin by the grace of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit. But our, our encouragement from Paul is to move away from those things and to move towards loving community with one another. The second aspect that he touches on in this passage is to say no empty words, no obscenity, no foolish talk, no coarse joking, but instead thanksgiving. Now, I was raised with the language of sarcasm. I, I was raised in a household where sarcasm was prized above other form of communications and being able to get the punchline in and the jab in was, was so valued. Um, and then I married, I married a very nice man from a very not sarcastic family. And so I am just repenting like every single day. Um, <laughs> but, um, all right, hold on, I lost my page. I got, I got too distracted thinking about how much I don't want to preach this part about not being sarcastic. So, anyways, maybe you've seen there's this 
emerging trend and interest in the field of positive psychology. And positive psychology, I think, has been around for a while, but suddenly the mainstream media is picking up on it and talking about it. So there's this article in Forbes talking about what happens to us when instead of complaining and making crude comments and, you know, sarcasms are really just eloquent insults, um, what do we, how, how else could we talk? And so there's this, this, this research around gratitude. And so I want to say that another way that we can walk in love is to express thanksgiving, as the passage said, express gratitude. So here's a couple little stats that are fun about, about what happens when we express gratitude. The first uh, was from a 2014 study that was done in a, in a publication called Emotion, and it found that thanking a new acquaintance makes them more likely to seek an ongoing relationship with you. So just saying thank you to somebody that you've just met makes them more apt to be interested to continue communication. I know, it's, it's really, that's really sophisticated. Like, oh, imagine if I'm nice to people, they want to keep hanging out with me. But I was like, wow, if we're, we're always hoping to like connect with visitors at our church, and if we just say thank you to them for something, they're actually more likely to want to be a part of our community. Second, grateful people, uh, this is from another 2012 study, grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people. Uh, grateful people are, feel more healthy and less pain than people that are ungrateful. Another study said that there's a link between gratitude and well-being, that gratitude effectively increases happiness and reduces depression, that it enhances empathy, it reduces aggression, it helps us sleep better. And you know that when you're trying to fall asleep and you're angry about something. Pastor Matt touched on that last week too, about letting the sun go down on your anger. And sometimes it's hard to fall asleep when you're angry. But if you practice gratitude, it's actually easier to sleep. It can improve your self-esteem. It can lower rates of PTSD and increase resilience uh, for those recovering from trauma. So that could be a good infomercial for something related to doing more gratitude. And maybe, you, maybe you've noticed this, when I've been in communities where people express appreciation and are kinder to one another, I express appreciation and I'm kinder. Like, since I got married, I'm kinder because I'm not married to a sarcastic person. Um, and I, one, one experience that really springs to mind is this group of people that I hung out with in college. A bunch of my friends had gone away for the semester for a study abroad. And so there was this other group of people I started hanging out with. And they were so smart. And they talked about smart things. And they had smart thoughts. And they read smart books. And... Um, and when I would hang out with them, I was always just a little bit behind. Um, and so we were in the car, and they're like, oh, I love this CD. And I'm going, oh, what's, you know, because it's back in the day of CDs, remember that? Um, and I'm like, oh, what CD, what CD is this? I don't know it. Oh, oh, you haven't heard of this? Oh, you haven't, everybody's heard of this. This is the best CD. Oh, I haven't heard of it. I have to go get it. You know, so then I go out and get the CD. And the next week we go out, and I'm like, yeah, now I know all the songs. They've already moved on to something else. They already don't like the thing that they liked last week. And so a couple months later, after I got a break and I moved on, I, I went to my study abroad then. And so I was away from these friends. And I looked back and I was like, you know, when I was hanging out with those people, I just felt like everything was terrible. I, 
they were so, they were actually kind of cynical. And I, so much to the point that when I started to talk about them, I was like, oh yeah, my friends, the cynics, uh, those people that I used to, that I used to go out for hamburgers with late at night, those, those people, they just really had something negative to say about absolutely everything. And it wore me down after a while. I suddenly didn't appreciate the friends that I have. I was thinking about all of their shortcomings, all the way they weren't as smart and as brilliant as my new friends. And I had to repent of that. And I had to restore relationships with some friends that I hurt in the process of moving away from them. That kind of system can happen even at a very small level in our own households uh, with the people that we live with, our roommates, our parents, our spouse, our kids, our friends, uh, anyone that we're sharing space with. We can be in a communication cycle that's marked by coarse language, or we can be in a communication cycle that's marked by gratitude. Um, One of the things that I started to give Clay a hard time about early on after we got married was I, it would just drive me crazy. I gave him, I, he gave me permission to tell this story. Um, it, would dri- it would drive me crazy that when he, um, when he would do something to clean the house, he would do like almost the whole job. So like, like he, would, he would clear the table away and put the dishes away, but then he might not go back and like just wipe down the counters and the, and the um, table. And I'm a, I'm a recovering maybe, hopefully, recovering perfectionist. So I would just, oh, just get under my skin. Like, why can't you just finish the task? Or we'd clean up the room and it would be mostly clean, except there's like these like three articles of clothing still draped over the back of the couch and it still needs to be vacuumed. And he'd go, we're done. And I'm like, we're not done. Um, and so I started to, to jokingly, in my course language, call him the king of the 90%. I was like, you can do 90% of the task so well. If only we could do the last 10%. And I was talking with a mentor earlier this year and she talked about how gratitude over time started to change that dynamic with her spouse. That she would, she would start to get frustrated because um, in her case, her husband didn't put away, he would vacuum the living room, but then he wouldn't put away the vacuum. And so then she'd come in and be like, why can you not put the vacuum back in the closet? It's not that hard. You did 90% of the task. She'd get so frustrated. But she said, and I, it started to reframe for me of like, why am I not grateful that we're in this team partnership and that there are jobs that my husband loves to do and there are jobs I love to do. Like, I love to finish the task. I love to put the vacuum away. And so she started to, (laughs) I don't love to put the vacuum away, Um, but she started, especially in Queen Anne where there's no closet, so it actually just lives in my living room. But um, anyways, she, uh, so she said the way that she started to reframe this in herself was to say, I'm going to express gratitude for what has been done instead of resentment towards what has not been done. So she said it started kind of a little like tight knuckled, like when she'd come in and she'd see the vacuum and she'd go, okay, there it is. His job's done, now it's my job. And so she, she started this practice of yelling, thank you for cleaning the, for vacuuming the living room through like gritted teeth, clenched. Like, I'm not really thankful yet, but I'm aspiring to be thankful. I'm in the in-between. And so she started that practice and over time, it's gotten easier and easier for her to say, 
He has his job, I have my job, we're all sharing, we're all in this together. You do the parts you do, I'll do my part, and we'll be grateful that we're in community. It sounds really utopian and lovely, but she said that over time, just starting to say, I'm gonna say thank you before I mean it, and then over time of saying thank you over and over and over, my heart starts to change, and I actually do mean it. I actually do start to mean that I'm thankful for you and that we share these responsibilities together. So to walk in love is to, is to walk towards one another, is to walk towards other people in our community, not out of a desire to, to see them in a flat way, not in a desire to possess or dehumanize them, but in a loving, full way where we express gratitude as we encounter one another. So that's the first movement, to walk in love. The second movement that Paul talks about in this passage is living as light. And this is our memory verse passage for the week. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul goes on to say that part of what we do as we live as light, and I love that he, does, he doesn't use, a, the, the Greek there doesn't say live as light. It's like, you aren't like a light. You actually are light. You once weren't like darkness. You once were darkness, and now you are light. And as light, Paul says in verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them illuminate them because if you're light and you encounter you encounter things in the darkness you have the ability to expose them to the light this is starting to think about what's going to happen at the end of time in the way that Jesus went totally into the darkness and then rose again fully in the light and we're all going to undergo a similar death and resurrection through Christ and be in unity with him for eternity Um, we are still, as we move in our day-to-day, we're still in the midst of the old way and the old world with humanity alienated from God and from the church and from one another. We're around people who are dead in sin and who are under the influence of the evil one. We are in the midst of times where we see tremendous evil that happens in the world. And Paul says, have nothing to do with those fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. By the light that's in, that's in you, expose those to the light. So that sometimes means that we have to face shadowy and dark places in order to shine a light in the darkness. We can't be over here in our little bright spot all of the time, or we can't even feel bright all of the time. Uh, it, Carrie Dearborn, one of our professors at SPU, shared in her book, uh, Drinking from the Wells of New Creation, the idea of facing the shadows. And she says this, unacknowledged shadows have tremendous power in our lives. The mistake has been to think that it is possible to reason or will one's way out of these lurking shadows. So we all face different shadows in our life. Some of us have hard histories. We've had hard memories from our childhood. Some of us struggle with addiction. Some of us battle mental illness. Some of us are experiencing grief and loss. And we carry these shadows. I, ha- I imagine like with Peter Pan, you know, when his shadow gets separated and he's battling it out with his shadow, trying to get it reconnected to him and reclaim it. There are these lurking shadows that we can't avoid in our lives. And we have to expose those to the light. And we can't do it just by willpower. So how do we do that? Anybody that's tried to overcome a difficult struggle by willpower, maybe by 
by something. I'm just gonna exercise a lot. That's gonna fix it. I'm just gonna diet a lot. That's gonna fix it. I'm just gonna earn more money. That's gonna fix it. Those things don't help us to overcome these lurking shadows that we face. And there is a presence of evil in the world that that we're constantly encountering. But Paul says, expose those things to the light. As verse eight says, you are the Lord of light. And we find out that we are to live as children of the light because we are are light in the Lord. Um, And so we have to expose those shadows by being in Christian fellowship with one another. Thinking back to being connected in unity of the spirit to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and one in Christian community, that's where that light comes from. Another author, Catherine Green McCrite, writes her story of faith and mental illness in a book called Darkness is My Only Companion. And I thought, we're talking about darkness. A book about darkness seems like it would be a good place to look. And she, she said, I was thinking, how does somebody that's so in the dark even think about expressing gratitude? How can we even express gratitude when all we see is darkness? And this is what she says in the midst of her struggles uh, with bipolar. She says, sometimes I think the only way for me to be grateful is to pray the Psalms, to wrap my tongue around the gracious words of others in hopes that their words will nourish my soul, somehow sink in and sprout into trees of righteousness, into songs of hope, because I have no words of gratitude in me, only shame at my absolute hardness of heart. And so she says that the way that she actually finds gratitude is I'm just gonna pray through the scripture. I'm gonna pray and seek after what the Israelites already shared and already learned in their time in the shadows. And so through that, our community has a role in teaching one another because when we gather together to worship and to pray together and to say the call to worship aloud and to sing the songs of the faith aloud, part of what we're doing is encouraging the people sitting beside us who are struggling to say the words themselves. And so art and music have a role in our community to bring light into the community. This art and this music is part of how we redeem our time in this time as we wait for Christ to come again. We sing praises to God. I was, it reminded me of this time when I was at um, a Christian concert and I got, it was a musician that I really liked and admired and I had a personal connection. So I was able to go out to dinner with him and his wife beforehand. And I had a pastor who was highly evangelistic that I was friends with who'd gotten me in to meet with them. And he was hosting the event. And so he was telling them after we went out to dinner, before the concert started, they're gonna do their concert and sing their music. And they, they were very artistic and had different renditions of hymns that they'd rewritten, but they didn't get up at the end and do an altar call. They, just, they allowed the music to be the invitation for people to feel invited to follow Christ. And he said, he told them, he goes, at the end of it, when you're all done, then I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna share uh, the gospel and then I'm gonna invite people forward. And then for the musicians, they're going, well, we already shared the gospel. We will have already shared the gospel because our music is a way of sharing the gospel. And it was these different paradigms. And, uh, and what, the, what the musician ended up saying to him was, well, we just take a different approach. And it was, it was interesting to think about how here, Paul and this author are talking about how sharing the Psalms is a way of testifying to God's goodness, of sharing the faith to everyone in the community. 
And it's also a time where we talk about the significance of singing in a group, of singing in worship. This is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament we have about why we should sing together in worship. And thinking about this oneness, what's so interesting is as we sing together with one Uh, in oneness, we are one voice all together. If you notice when we're up here in worship, we don't have like the superstar with the spotlight with the, I mean, you're you're a superstar, Ed, sorry. Like, good for you. Um, But we don't have like, we don't have the set design where there's, you know, a person up here and they're the solo vocalist and we crank them way up and we crank everyone else down because we want to hear everybody because all of us together are one and part of singing together, creating one voice. Uh, one of my, I was reading a story of a pastor the other day talking about bringing a, a person who wasn't familiar with church into his church just to see how he liked it and get his feedback. And at the end of it, the guy says, uh, yeah, that church was cool. I, um, I, I thought the Christian karaoke was a little weird. <laughs> he was talking about worship and uh and they're like oh yeah the christian karaoke and that because that was his context when he saw people up on a stage and singing it made him think of karaoke only now you're singing songs about jesus that's that's pretty interesting i've never never seen that before but then he went on to say but what i really liked was how everybody sang the words together And so in that space, the community and the fact that all the community, it's not one solo star up front singing, it's everybody singing the words together, everyone singing the songs of faith. And that's part of how we move out of the shadows is to be in community and to be seeking oneness with people outside of ourselves. So in the time when we are stuck in the shadows, other people are in a space where they're feeling more grateful and they can lead us back towards the light. So that's our second movement, to live as love. And our last movement is to seek God's will. Super easy, right? Like, I'm just gonna know what God's will is and I'm just gonna do it all the time. None of us have ever said, oh, I just wanna know what God's will is. I just wanna know the right path. But movement three, Paul says, um, looking down at the very end, uh, he says, oh, it's in verse 10. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. So part of what we move towards in Christian communities, we need to find out what pleases the Lord. And I've been on a journey the last couple years of doing a lot of, I would say, more ancient spiritual Christian practices, stuff taught by St. Ignatius, who teaches different practices that the early church used, like something called the prayer of examine and uh, other practices of reading scripture called Lectio Divina. And I'm happy to talk more to you if you wanna know more about those. But the prayer of examine is some, a simple practice that we can use every day that connects with this idea of also seeking to express gratitude. And here are steps. You can look this up online if you don't want to write them all down right now. Just Google prayer of examine. But this is a practice you can do for five to 10 minutes every day. And you do these five steps. First, you sit down to pray and and seek to become aware of God's presence. So you invite the Holy Spirit to be with you in your time of prayer and connection with God. Second, you think back through your day and review it with gratitude like what happened today that I'm really grateful for that God did or what, what can I express appreciation for? Third, pay attention to any emotions that you're feeling in that moment. So if you're a journaler, this is a great time to journal. What, what am I noticing? What's coming up? Am I tense? Am I frustrated? And so pay attention to those and then maybe pick one of those things and pray about that. Say, God, what What do you want to show me? What do you want to illuminate? What do you want to light up and pull out of the shadows to show me about my day? And the Spirit speaks, the Spirit moves, and the Spirit will bring something to mind of, 
a way, um, a way that I need to go back and apologize to someone in my family or the way I'm feeling discouraged and God wants me to know that God is still faithful in the midst of that. So, and then the last step is to look forward to tomorrow. Knowing what I know today, what am I gonna move towards tomorrow? So this is a very small, simple practice that you can do daily to seek out God's will. And then the second thing you can do is to find that kind of community and connection in a small group with one another. If that's a soul care group or a prayer group, some of you have groups that you've been in for a long time. And I'm not talking just about studying the Bible together and praying over that study of the word, but also asking one another the Wesleyan question, how is it with your soul? How are you doing? How is life in the light today? How is life in the shadows today? And how can, we, how can we encourage one another? This is essentially like what a recovery group is, a time to come together and to share openly and honestly and to seek to stay on the right path. And so Christians, we do that by asking, how is it with your soul? So we should live out the calling that God has given us. Paul says to be worthy of this calling we have been received. And we're able to do that by the work of the Spirit. So this can start to sound like a whole lot of effort, a lot of hard work, but we we aren't able to do this on our own. We have to rely consistently and surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit to lead us and make every effort to keep unity with that Spirit through the bond of peace. So I've outlined a few movements that we can make through walking, through living, and through seeking. And what's the movement that God is asking you to make today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word, and we pray that you'll continue to seek and guide and direct each of us, Lord. If there's any wicked way in us, Lord, we pray that you would root it out, that you would help us, to see what you want us to see, Lord. We confess that we have not always honored you in our thoughts and in our words and in our deeds. And God, we want to be close to you. We want to be in unity with one another. We want to be in unity with your spirit. And sometimes things get in the way. Sometimes we struggle with shame and with fear. And Lord, we want to hand that over to you today. We thank you that when We thank you that when we call out to you that you hear us and you respond. We thank you that when we repent of our sins that you respond, Lord. And we confess that we don't always follow you with righteousness. God, we pray that as you tell us that you are light and that there is light in us, Lord, that you would help us to express gratitude and to help that light illuminate any wicked ways in us any ways that we can be your light with the people around us and share light with others, God. Lead us by the power of your spirit into that. We pray this together in the name of Jesus, praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.